for a long time in my life, I paid $4 for my haircuts. I enjoyed it. It was really good. Two years ago, I started paying $70 for my haircut. And I don't look any better. You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 27 of You Play A What. This is my third solo episode, and you might be thinking that it's kind of a weird title to have for a music podcast, or that you have probably click on the wrong link and isn't this podcast supposed to be about the life, ideas and the work of a musician? But bear with me for a second as I unpack this episode for you. So for the longest time, so before we get into the main point of today's episode, I would just like to take this time to share with you a personal story a story of my $4 haircut versus my $70 haircut. So for the longest time, I got my haircut from my mum's close friend who lived a few blocks away from me. Her name is Auntie Sharon. If you're not from Singapore or the Malaysia region, you might find the usage of the word auntie a little bit strange as she's not a relative. She's just a close friend of my mum. If you want to find out more about uh, how we use this term, uh, I'm happy to explain it to you. Just get in touch with me, uh, whichever way you prefer. So in 2018, I faced a problem. Auntie Sharon retired in 2018 when I returned back from the UK from my studies. Uh, whenever I was back from the UK for my vacation, usually for about two to three months, I would get haircuts from her. They cost me only $4.00. Sometimes she doesn't even take my money. Visiting Auntie Sharon was great. She understood the hairstyles that suited my hair and I trusted her to make me look less of a caveman when I walked out of her home. But above everything else, I cherished the conversations and the connection. To find out how she has been while I was away in the UK and of course she asked me about my life there. Her haircuts don't take very long. Most of the time around 10 to 15 minutes and I'll be done. So post-2018, I was in a little bit of crisis. I did not know where to get my hair cut. And after trying out a few spots, I now pay $70 for my haircut. So you might be thinking, $70 for a haircut, that's insane. And I do agree, right? The price is on the high side. And I know that it's a stark contrast uh, from my $4 haircut. And it actually doesn't make me look like an Adonis. So why do I go for the $70 haircut? Because they'll fix more than my hair. What drawn me to this barbershop was similar to what was great about Auntie Sharon. I was able to chat with my barber, ask them about their lives, talk about their favourite restaurants, how was their recent holiday, share with them what I do, and hear a different perspective of how others see the work that we do. Of course, the free choice of coffee or alcoholic beverage before and after each haircut played a part too. But what makes this feel like of great value to me is not just a great haircut, 
or the quality of shampoo they use when they wash my hair. All the fancy drinks that I can order, but it's the emotional connection that we develop in that 45 minutes. I paid more, but I get more than what I paid for. What is your equivalent of a $70 haircut? Would you pay a premium if you knew that you were going to receive more than what you paid for? So let's get to the point of today's episode. I want to talk about the concept of price versus value. How do you see the relationship between price and value? Do you think that the relationship is direct, therefore the more expensive an item or service, the better the value? Or that the cheaper the item or service means that it is of a lower value? I think value is defined when you feel that you are getting more than what you paid for. I listened to a panel discussion recently in which the moderator asked some of the panelists, do you think that private lessons for your respective instrument is expensive? So for a few days or a few weeks actually, I asked myself, how would I answer this question? And after much thought, I concluded that this was an impossible question for me to answer. Not without disclosing a quote-unquote market rate and the unfair generalization of how one sees money. But I do understand why the moderator asked the question, and I think it did come from a good place, with the intention of making private band instrumental lessons less intimidating. But perhaps they see the reason why school band members are not signing up for private lessons is because of price. But perhaps the question we should be asking is, what is the value that we can provide to a student who has signed up to a lesson with us. I will share with you some examples of how my perception of price and value has changed over the years. During my studies in the UK, I will always return back to Singapore, as I've mentioned, during the summer break. Looking back, I wonder why, because I end up missing the best parts of the year. 21 degrees, t-shirts, jeans, and you can walk for days without being affected by humidity. Why not? But I guess coming home is always nice. But usually, after a week into the vacation, I start to realise that it was a little bit boring. So I reach out to people, euphonium people, and I said to them, Hey, I'm back for the summer for two and a half months. I would love to catch up, do some playing together. And if you know of anyone who is keen, tell them. And don't worry about the fee. I'm more than happy to do it for free. And after reaching out to all these people, guess how many people took up my offer? One. And he happened to play in the same concert with me during that time. His name is Dylan. Some of you might know him. He's currently in the police force. If we had not played in the same concert together, I'm quite sure he would not have gotten in touch too. So every time when it got to a week before I was flying off, back to the UK, it left me feeling frustrated. Why wouldn't anyone get in touch with me? You don't even have to pay. To me, I thought I was offering everyone great value. A session to play together, talk about euphonium, play some duets, and maybe offer some feedback if called upon. What is the reason that no one got in touch? I think that is a complicated question. Perhaps it has got to do with status role and that if 
you're asking for help and the fact that you had to get in touch with me felt like I was lowering one status row. Or because I've been away for nine months and suddenly decided to show up and expect people to give me their trust and attention was naive. And I believe there are more reasons that constitute this problem. But what I failed to realize at that point of time was that I was a service provider. I do not get to decide the value of my service and that value is decided by the user. I can decide the price, in this case free, but ultimately the user gets to decide the value, whether it's worth it to invest their attention and time with me, sit with me in a room and play euphonium together. If Dylan and I haven't performed the Queen Symphony together in 2017, if he hadn't spent hours with me in rehearsal and formed some kind of emotional connection, he too might have chose to focus on his work attachment rather than spend three hours with me playing lipsless. Over the last two weeks, I had attended three courses that are unrelated to music. One of the courses I attended was at the community centre. It was a bread baking class that I attended together with my girlfriend. She and I prefer very different modes of learning. She prefers to attend courses and have an instructor present with you to guide you through the process, assist in troubleshooting and refining your technique based on what is personal to her and to have a clearer and more systematic approach to the individual steps of baking. I, on the other hand, prefer to do learning and gathering information online, like googling recipes or watching YouTube tutorials. Some of you might know that I have been baking sourdough breads every now and then. I'm by no means a master and that I still have days where my bread comes out of the oven looking like a pancake. The way I try to solve this issue is to tweak the recipe as if I knew what I was doing or look up a new or better recipe video. I have no idea why I have such tendencies. Perhaps it's an ego or the refusal to accept, once again, the lowering of status row to become a student because I've gotten used to being a teacher. It has never crossed my mind to attend a bread baking class until I was asked by my girlfriend. So the first question is, how would I react if a student was to tell me, I'm not going to be taking a lesson because I've been watching YouTube tutorials on how to play the euphonium. I should be fine. How would you react if a student said this to you? Back to the course. Like most community center courses, it is a foundation level course where the entire room are all enthusiastic hobbyists in bread baking. That at the end, you are equipped with knowledge of gluten development, proofing, shaping, and ultimately baking. Choosing the right temperature, baking it for the right time. So as the instructor was interacting with us individually, she asked everyone two similar questions. Have you baked bread before? What do you wish to learn from this course? But for me, the second question was, then what are you doing here? After finding out that I bake sourdough sometimes. My answer was, 
I would like to get a different perspective about bread baking. The class turned out to be great. I managed to understand and refine my kneading techniques, make it more efficient to develop gluten. I also learned a new technique of stretching out the dough for a window pane test just to see if my dough was ready and has developed enough gluten and ready to start proofing. At the end of the course, I bought home seven Mexican buns. I made nine in total. I had two right as it came out of the oven. So if you're wondering what are Mexican buns, those are equivalent to uh, papa roti, except that it's not coffee flavored. Apart from that, I brought home two small loaves of bread where I started at the beginning of the lesson from scratch. The entire course cost me $60 plus $25 of material fee. Total duration of the course was five and a half hours. If you were to purchase this bread from a bakery, it is likely to only cost you less than $25 and you'll save time and elbow grease. So did I feel that the course was of value? Absolutely. Because I now have acquired something that is more valuable than knowledge, which is understanding. I understood how to develop gluten. What a dough should feel like when gluten is well developed. How proofing work. When the dough should come out from the proofer. Knowledge is widely available to us over the internet. At this current age, information gathering is not difficult. But understanding requires instruction or direction from someone with the expertise that you are seeking for. Someone that's able to personalize information that resonates with you, that is able to help you improve and become better at what you are seeking to do. The second course was a coffee brewing foundation course. And the last course that I attended, which I completed yesterday, was the intermediate brewing course. So just to explain this, uh, this course is different from a barista course where you work the espresso machine, froth milk and make lattes. This course is about brewing filtered coffee, black coffee, and learning the science and technique behind pouring water through a bit of coffee so that your coffee tastes better. So once again, I would like to thank the person that encouraged me to go on this course. And actually, I attended this course together with this person. So thank you, Chester, for asking me along for this course. Chester, of course, is no stranger to the music scene in Singapore. But some people might know him as the owner of Double Shot Coffee along Shenton Way. This was my first coffee course since I started drinking specialty grade coffee when I was living in Manchester in 2016. These two courses are designed to train people who are working in the coffee industry or prepare people to be ready to enter the coffee industry so that you can function better as a brewer in a cafe so that you can read and understand recipes so that we understand the science behind extracting coffee and we chart our coffee to calculate how much coffee we've extracted and the concentration level of the coffee. We have to fill in brew analysis sheets every time we brew a new cup of coffee. It was a really systemic way of brewing coffee. 
We learned the importance of understanding the grinder so that we can dial into our specific brewing parameters in the shortest possible time. We learned to taste over-extracted, under-extracted coffee and a balanced cup of coffee. We learned to taste the viscosity and mouthfeel of the liquid. That being said, out of a class of six, how many people in the class do you think work in the coffee industry? One. Only Chester is working in the coffee industry. The rest of the class are all home brewers. Very enthusiastic ones. When asked what we would like to get out of the course, many of us said that we wanted to refine our technique in brewing, troubleshoot recipes, come up with a good recipe that does justice to the coffee we have at home. But right off the cuff, we were told that this brewing course is a sensory or a tasting course. That the most important thing we get out of this course is to learn how to taste and how to adjust following the tasting. What are we tasting for? We are tasting for balance between sweet, sour and bitter. And you might be asking now, sweetness in coffee? Yes, it exists. And that if any of these three flavour profiles is too weak or dominant, that it will cover up other flavour profiles or bring out flavours that are perhaps not so desirable. In coffee terms, under or over extraction of the coffee. We are also tasting for viscosity or thickness of the liquid, whether the coffee is watery and it disappears the moment it hits your tongue, or is it thicker and able to coat your tongue and deliver a lingering aftertaste. In coffee terms, it's called mouthfeel. I'm not going to lie, I struggled in the tasting element of the exam. The wider spectrum of under and over extraction can be rather confusing for me because under extracted doesn't always mean that it's sour and over extracted doesn't always mean that it's bitter. On hindsight, maybe I should have taken a coffee tasting course before my intermediate brewing course. To put this into music, Education terms. Imagine a student coming to you telling you what they'll like to achieve is a better high register and can tell you the right things that needs to happen to produce a high note, but unable to execute it. Most likely, that student is not able to listen and identify what they're doing is not what they're saying and that it might be a case of overblowing that the reason why we, they are struggling is because the air pressure is too low due to overblowing. This can be traced down to the sound quality they produce. Maybe it's slightly airy. Maybe it sounds flat. Maybe the sound will be dull instead of vibrant. But because they are not sensitive enough to identify these traits in their playing, they might push more air and use more effort and struggle even more. This is a case of having knowledge, which can be retained through watching videos or masterclasses, but not understanding, which can only be developed through practice and repetition towards the right direction. Perhaps a student that has a strong interest in playing the instrument might not think that lessons with a professional musician is of value to them. In that case, even if you do offer them free lessons, they might not even take you up on your offer. This has happened to me even after I came back for good in 2018. 
I know of hobbyists that choose to invest a lot of money in instruments and equipments, but refuse to pay for regular lessons. Is it still about money then? Is it about price? Because an instrument is very likely going to cost more than an entire year, 52 weeks worth of private lessons. But I believe there is a group of hobbyists that adopts a professional approach when it comes to something that they are truly passionate about. Those that see value in engaging your service to help them become better musicians. In my course yesterday, the five other people in the class, apart from Chester, who sees value in attending a professional level brewing course just so that they can brew better coffee for their own enjoyment. Whether or not some of them would continue to go on to enter the coffee industry, who knows and who is to say. But at least for now, they are home brewer with a professional approach. So who are we seeking to serve? What students would you like to attract? Is it person A that sets aside 30 minutes each day to practice with specific objectives in mind? Or person B who thinks that a new mouthpiece is going to make them a better musician? Who is more likely to see value in the work that we do? To sum all that up, service providers can decide the price but not the value of their service. It is the user or anyone that chooses to engage your services that ultimately decides the value of your work. And as service provider, it is important that we do not make promises we can't keep. But it is much more important to give people who choose to engage with us more than they paid for. I remember years ago, fresh out of secondary school, when I was preparing to enter NAFA, I thought of getting a euphonium teacher. So I got on to the then really crowded, famous SG Band Fusion Forum and I asked for recommendations for a euphonium teacher. I was given two names, but I never got around to get in touch with these people. Not because of price, because I didn't know the price, but I was constantly putting it off because I had no idea how my lesson would turn out. The fear of the unknown? What if I was told not to pursue my studies in music? What if I'm told I'm bad? So when we are able to see that the reason why school members choose not to take lessons out of their band practice is perhaps that they do not feel that it adds value to their lives and not because of the price of the lesson. Then, maybe we will have a different conversation. So what will this conversation be about? Perhaps it could be about how we can create value for our students apart from making them more proficient musicians. To see them as equal and not of a lower status than you? Are you able to challenge their critical thinking, listening, problem solving? Or do you spoon feed them with information? Are you allowing them to have creative expression with their music? Or should they play it, quote-unquote, the right way? Do you personalize your teaching methods to the needs of your students? Or do you force all your students to go through a system where it eliminates the, quote-unquote, 
untalented? Are you seeking to create an emotional connection with them or do you just want to talk about yourself? How can we create value for whoever we seek to serve? How can we be the one and only and the people who you seek to serve is able to say specifically, quote-unquote, I want you, rather than I want a bassoon teacher. Because if we are not talking about creating value, we will be talking about price. And that often leads to a race to the bottom. Which means if two parties are offering the same service, the consumer will pick the cheapest. Perhaps this system already sounds familiar. I understand that this is not a usual episode of You Play or What. Next week, we will resume to our usual interview format with the legend that is Wang Chenwei. Thank you for staying with me throughout this episode and thank you so much for your attention. With that, we'll sign off on this shorter episode of You Play or What. You have been listening to You Play or What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.